0: This program on AM 1170, The Answer, is sponsored by Allied Media Group.
1: Welcome to
0: the Andrea Kay Show. She's blonde, five foot two, and one hundred seven pounds of
2: dynamite in a dress. Here she is, Andrea Kay.
3: Good evening to welcome to the Andrea K Show. Glad to have you all here with me. So excited to share tonight with you because tonight is a huge, exciting night. First of all, it's exciting because it's always exciting for me to be here and be on, uh, share this time with you. And I get to share it with DJ Carrot Sticks.
1: I'll earn my pay one way or the other.
3: Yeah. <laughs> well, you better learn your pay by starting to play my new intro next time. It kind of threw me. I was expecting. Remember we did the new intro? You that you didn't hear about the new intro we recorded with Cameron? No? Okay. I didn't hear that, by the way. You didn't hear that over the mic.
2: Nobody. No, I didn't hear about that.
3: All right. Shame on Cameron, by the way. All right. Hey, follow me on Twitter at Andrea K. Show. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. That's where all the geniuses out there. Tonight is a huge night. I want to give uh, congratulations out there to Ted Cruz, who actually won the Iowa caucus tonight. But like so many people are asking, what does it really mean? What does it mean for him? What does it mean for the Republican Party? Uh, You know, we're not exactly you know, we we're not exactly coming off of eight years of President Huckabee or President Santorum. So I'm not really sure what this really means, although this was a really different kind of year for the Republican Party, as well as for really America. In fact, right now, I don't even think we have a declared winner yet between hillary and sanders and what does it say about iowa that you could have 50 percent of iowans ready to vote for sanders at the same time that you got iowans picking ted cruz what the heck does this mean well i'm glad you're all here to help me figure out what it means uh, also to help me figure it out is gail trotter she's been on the show before she's a political analyst and a commentator she's been all over media you've seen her many times And she's going to be on to help me figure it out because there's lots of questions tonight. I think what's really clear as we go forward is looking at the results right now, there's only four votes that stand between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. And if you're Hillary Clinton right now, you are warm. I mean, who remembers, speaking of past uh, presidential campaigns, who remembers back in 08 when Hillary was running. She was. Remember, that was supposed to be the coronation then, back in two thousand eight for Hillary Clinton. And remember, out of nowhere comes this little upstart senator. And you guys remember a certain church that was associated with that upstart senator. And there was. And I'm not thinking about Reverend Wright. I'm thinking about another Reverend, Father Flager. Actually, do you who remembers Father Flager? talking about after I think it was after Iowa before going into New Hampshire where he is just on fire from the pulpit and he's saying there's a he's mocking Hillary Clinton he's like oh there's a black man stealing my show Mm -hmm. well tonight we may have a socialist stealing her show and you know what if that happens that's going to be the big story for me tonight because like I said we're not coming off of eight years of a President Santorum we do not have a Santorum as the presidential nominee back in 2012 nor did we have a Huckabee as the presidential nominee for the Republican Party in 08 it doesn't mean that it can't happen for Ted Cruz I'm not saying that um but anyway we got to get all inside of it because it is kind of a an interesting night that will be if Sanders right now um like I said there's four points uh four actual votes between them that will be the real big surprise of the night is it a huge surprise For anybody on the Republican side that Cruz won, I mean, he was really leading in the polls. In fact, the real surprise last week was that he had kind of tanked a little bit in the polls because he had been well over Trump for a while. And it seemed as though he really lost some momentum around the time of the debate. And when if so to me, the big surprise is really not that Cruz won. Like I said, no surprise there. Um, To me, the big surprise was the Marco Mentum of the night. In fact, to me, if I look at the real winners of the night, I look at Sanders, who may be about to overtake Hillary, because he's got a firewall built up in New Hampshire. If he takes Iowa, it, it she, she it's going to be really interesting. What would the, and we're going to talk a little bit about some updates and what's going on with the FBI situation, because I can't talk Iowa in, in this situation the entire night. There's other things going on. And, and you know, like I said, and everybody knows, you know, Iowa actually only represents 19, only 19, historically only 19% of Iowa, Iowa iowan voters actually go to caucus and only one percent of all delegates that that get counted for the republican nomination come out of iowa so that's one reason why it doesn't it, you know it hasn't other than w back in 2000 it has not been the winner of iowa has not gone on to win the nomination in fact i kind of actually said last week oh boy for Ted Cruz, when that Vander Plaats guy, the guy who predicts, has predicted like every Iowan winner going back to the beginning, I was like, oh boy, if you're Ted Cruz, you're like telling that guy to shut up because that's kind of like the kiss of death. Um, what does it really mean for the Republican Party? A friend of mine was actually te- texting me because the big, the big winner of the night is Rubio. And I kind of started getting a squeamish feeling a, 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 about a week ago, even before the debate, because there was starting to be a lot of argument from a lot of the wrong people, in my opinion, for a push for Rubio. In fact, that was one of the reasons why I was kind of bugged a little bit about Trump backing out of the debate because I felt like it really wasn't going to matter one way or the other for, for Trump in terms of not showing up the debate. In fact, I kind of felt like it helped him because it put a target on Cruz's back and took it off of his. And he dominated the media for quite a few days. In fact, not only did he dominate the media, he created the story, set the agenda for the media, and then all the conversation about him was just about the fact that he didn't go to the debate instead of where he stood on the issues. And it did become a policy issue and debate between Cruz and between Rubio and it put a target on Cruz's back and it set up the stage for Rubio to do as well as he did in the debate because Rubio in my opinion is actually a far better debater and a far better orator actually than than Ted Cruz and there of course here comes the media I mean before that debate was even over actually even before the debate the push for the, the establishment guy began. Articles came out predicting that Rubio was going to win tonight, which was actually all about trying to create the inevitability of him winning. It was all about pushing a narrative because this is who the establishment wants. Because Bush, I mean, Bush came in behind Rand Paul tonight. I think he only got 1%. You know, I mean, I, I don't even know how many millions of dollars that guy. He Remember, he was supposed to be the inevitable guy. We were told by the establishment, including when I say the establishment, um qualifier that also includes the media establishment including fox uh, many people were saying that the boy you know oh the fix is in for bush they kept telling us why because he had all the money he had all the money and that meant he was going to be the inevitable inevitable nominee and he spent something like 50 million dollars or something like that and he's he's only got one percent um so this was clearly um a bad night for Bush. And I think, you know, we've already heard that Huckabees is suspending his campaign. Um, what a shock that O'Malley is suspending his campaign. We got to see what's really going to happen between, you know, Bush and some of the others, because really, can they stay in at this point? You know, I it, it ended up being numbers wise, kind of a three way tie, going now we got to go into new hampshire a lot of people are saying at least at the very least can we just get rid of some of these people that are just hanging on see Santorum's strategy since he did win iowa last time was kind of hang around and hang on forever i do really think that it it helps um it hurts the republican party for that to happen but clearly rubio is the establishment guy and they've been pushing for him now i will say it again For everybody out there listening, I will push hard for whoever is the Republican nominee because whatever happens, whoever going into the general. We cannot have Hillary Clinton. We cannot have Bernie Sanders and we cannot have Biden, Elizabeth Warren, which I think everybody has been talking about is is possibly going to happen here. If Hillary loses in Iowa and she loses in New Hampshire and on top of everything going on with this FBI situation, the, the Democrat Party, they know that Bernie Sanders cannot win in the general. So there's going to be a push to replace her on the ticket. I'm going to take a break. When I come back, I'm going to bring in Gail Trotter. She's going to, Pick up the conversation with me, and we're going to break down all that is Iowa. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the Andrea K Show on AM 1170, The Answer.
2: Be sure to follow Andrea K on Twitter at Andrea Kay Show, and follow her on Facebook and like her fan page at Andrea K, Kay, spelled K-A-Y-E.
3: Want to start living better, longer? LaVita Compounding Pharmacy can help. So happy and thrilled to have you all here with me tonight. Looks like I might be competing with Ted Cruz tonight because he's about to give his his victory speech, and I look forward to hearing what he has to say there. Um, interesting night, absolutely fascinating for me so far. The big winner of the night is Rubio, though, because I think many people the, the polls have been up and down. Uh, Charles Burton on Facebook is saying that he really expected Trump to win tonight because he was ahead in the polls. It was really, according to Real Clear Politics, going into tonight. I think it was pretty much a statistical dead heat. I think it was uh, Trump maybe uh, 26 or something and Cruz 24. I mean, it was really a statistical dead heat. Uh, It was also uh, breaking it down going into tonight, uh, according to the event, breaking it down to the evangelicals. It was 26 Cruz, though, and Trump 24. And... um, that could be why, Charles. I mean, I actually think Cruz was considered the front runner, was expected to win. Uh, but I may be wrong, but I tell you who knows all the ins and outs and is here to help me break it all down is Gail Trotter, political analyst and commentator. Hey, Gail, welcome back to The Andrea K Show. Great to be with you, Andrea. What an exciting night. First, of all, what
4: stands out for you? Yes, it is so exciting. I mean, I think that the Des Moines Register, which had Trump winning by five, and now we know that Cruz was up by four, it's just really wonderful because it just shows I, I – I just don't like polls at all. And I think that this uh, primary season has just been such an unusual situation where the pundits and the prognosticators, all of them have been proven wrong time and time again. So it's wonderful to see the people of Iowa choosing who they want to be the next president of the United States, not re- with regard to who the pollsters or the establishment or the media gatekeepers want to put in the Oval Office.
3: Mm-hmm. What do you think it really- Really means though, given the fact that we know Santorum didn't go on to get the nomination, neither did Huckabee. I mean, really in recent times, I think we got to go back at least to 2000, and then I don't even remember what happened before that. That was when W got it. What does it really mean for Ted Cruz and for the rest of the candidates at this point? Is it really significant? I mean, I think they don't, they're only one percent of the delegates, and only 19 percent right. of Iowans even even go to caucus.
4: Right. It's not it's not a guarantee that you're going to uh, win the nomination, let alone win the Oval Office. But I think it does show in this really mixed up season that Cruz has a lot of support, mm-hmm. that a lot of attacks from Donald Trump, they were unable to uh, basically foment uh, rebellion among Cruz's mm-hmm. supporters. And I think that if you look at how Trump attacked Cruz, especially on the New York values, I, I thought it was very fascinating that Cruz really called Trump out on the New York values, and it seemed like in that last debate that that Trump had the perfect answer about mm-hmm. New York values, tying it back to 9-11 and how mm-hmm. everybody mm-hmm. responded to that, and yet I think that when they did the exit poll or the entrance polls on a lot of the caucus goers tonight, they said that Cruz represented their values more than Trump did.
3: Right. What I also found interesting about, and I don't remember if this was entrance or exit polls, but of those, and this was at one of the largest uh, uh, precincts it, of those that were most unhappy with how government was run, which was like 92% of them, the, of the caucus goers, 2% more said that they were for Cruz over Trump, which I thought was interesting because he cru- uh, Trump was supposed to get the anger vote. I thought that right. was very interesting with the with the entrance voters. I was also really, in, in terms of attacking, I really kind of would have thought that Cruz would have had an even bigger victory, I kind of think, and I could be wrong, That when Trump decided to not go to the debate, it put more of a target on Cruz's back and Rubio was able to land some punches. And I think that's one reason why, for me, the big winner tonight was Rubio, because he far exceeded expectations. It's ended up kind of being like a three way tie Um, to me. He's he's the clear winner tonight. In fact, what I found really interesting was of the undecideds, um, 40 something percent, I think, uh, went tonight or maybe 38 percent were undecided. Um, They uh, broke more for Rubio than they did for
4: anybody how do you how do you account for that Right, and, you know, Rubio and Carson were neck and neck in the run-up to tonight on who was going to get four, uh, third place. I mean, Carson was really hoping that his strong connection with the evangelical base in Iowa would carry him to the third-place spot. But Rubio obviously had a much stronger ground game than Carson did, and I think you're right. I think in some respects Rubio is the big winner here because he was, you know, really painted into a corner as the establishment candidate, and he's been battling it out for that position. And the fact that, I mean, you could see it watching his uh, speech after the results were announced, where he was just grinning from ear to ear. And that is mm-hmm. certainly a strength of his.
3: Yeah. In fact, I think he's, you know, for all of Cruz's brilliance, and he's such an amazing litigator, um, I actually think I saw a commercial that's that's running here in San Diego where Rubio ends it uh, saying that. Um, something to the effect of I owe a debt to America that I can never repay and it was the it was so heartfelt. it was so right. uh, it, to me he's he's the the great orator and debater of the group and I, I find um, his surge I, I think he really held his own against some attacks about his flip-flopping. He's so agile. When he's when he's kind of, you know, being backed into a corner on on immigration and some things. So it'll be what are your thoughts going into New Hampshire? Because he is clearly the establishment guy, which I find interesting that so many when you've got the entrance poll saying that 51 percent are looking for a political outsider. But then the undecideds. Break for Rubio, who's the insider in the establishment, right. I kind of, you know, it's kind of a little schizophrenic. And going into New Hampshire, that's where Rubio is going to face some establishment types. That's where Christie has been working it hard. Yeah. Ka- and Kasich has been burning it up in New Hampshire. So, you know, really what's going to happen with Rubio and the establishment when when it comes to New Hampshire?
4: Right, and Kasich, Governor Kasich, as you know, just is at 2% in Iowa. So his play that I have from inside people in his campaign, it's all New Hampshire. It's New Hampshire for him or bust. I mean, he is really hoping for a very strong showing. And I think Cruz is at a big disadvantage in New Hampshire because a lot of the themes that are the big part of his campaign do not resonate well in New Hampshire. Uh, Plus, you have Chris Christie has a lot of connection in New Hampshire. and Bush certainly has been dumping a lot of money uh, in trying to pump up his numbers. So I think after New Hampshire, you're going to see a lot of people fall off because they're going to realize that they're not going to get that establishment uh, lane. Kasich likes to say there's an establishment lane, there's an anti-establishment lane, and there's the Kasich lane. And I think (laughs) we'll be able to see in New Hampshire if he's right or if that's just uh, more posturing.
3: Well, you know, Kasich did get the New York Times endorsement, Gail.
4: Oh, yes. And he's so proud of it. I do have to tell. I I have to say, I was watching him talk on uh, one of the Sunday shows, and he was talking about his daughter was screaming, and he ran out and asked her what was wrong. And she said, Dad, you got endorsed by the New York Times. That's so cool. And Kasich (laughs) said, that's so great when you can make your teenage daughter think something you did is cool. And I went, oh, that is cool. But then I had to remind myself, no, wait, it's the New York Times. (laughs) Exactly. And she
3: probably will vote for her. Socialist when she turns 18, because that seems like that's That's what's going on with today. You know, how, how scary of a time that we live in. Gail, when we have 50 percent of Iowa Democrats, and of course, they did not have the turnout. They didn't have the number of people out there tonight as they did the Republicans. But when we have the amount of people, what is going on and what does that mean for us going into the general? Because there's there's a big discussion between conservatives in terms of likability. That seems to be a big concern for both Trump and Cruz, because a lot of people think that both of them have their own likability issues. And that's going to play a big part in terms of trying to sell Americans to re embrace opportunity over entitlements what are your thoughts on that
4: right I think that's obviously a big issue on the economy the free market trying to put in tax plans that will help grow our economy. We have $18 trillion of debt and there there are not enough people in the United States who pay taxes to be able to dig us out of that hole. We are in that hole. The only way we're going to get out of that hole is to grow our economy. So the, the uh, candidate who offers the best plan to grow the economy, I think, will really capture those voters who are interested and concerned about that. But I think the real issue for this presidential campaign comes back to national security. Mm -hmm. And sometimes likability is not as big a factor when we're thinking about which candidate is going to promise to keep us safe from the threats that we have going on around the world and even brought back to our own country. We have open investigations in terrorism in all 50 states. We Mm -hmm. have Jim Comey saying that they can't possibly vet refugees coming in here right now. So I think that that's a big strength that Trump and Cruz both have because Mm -hmm. they have been hammering that issue home over and over again.
3: Right. If you're just tuning in, this is the Andrea K. Show on AM 1170 KCBQ, and we're talking to Gail Trotter, political analyst and commentator. Um, a lot of people said that tonight was really a test for the new model of politician and presidential candidate, and that is was Trump's model, which was the antithesis of Bush because Bush was all about the big fundraising and amassing the big war chest and that was supposedly going to be what was going to propel him to inevitability and on top of that being the traditional model, there was also the model of the retail politician just going around shaking hands um, never turning down a debate. You know, Trump is basically self-funded. He's flying in on his big fat jet, you know, Mm -hmm. giving a couple Mm -hmm. speeches. (laughs) He's leaving. So some people are like, he loses tonight And, you know, um, then it's just, you know, we got to get back to politics as usual. And I'm saying not so fast. I'm saying when, you know, to me, I love this model of a politician. This is somebody to me who, whether no matter where you think of, of Trump on the policies and where he stands and whether or not he's really a liberal or any of that, I love the fact, Gail, that we have a guy and whether or not you think he inherited a silver spoon You know, he he truly did whatever he inherited his success after that point was on him. This was a man who embraced the free market capitalist system, worked it, worked it to the bone to get everything he could get out of the bone marrow. And then understands it, it loves it and appreciates it so much that he was willing to, after being successful personally and professionally, to then decide to go into politics instead of somebody who comes out of law school, decides to run for local city council and then spend the next 40 years in government working his way up the food chain.
4: I well, love let's this not pick on lawyers you well, know, because I'm a lawyer. <laughs> so we got to be careful with that. That's getting to meddling. <laughs> no, but I agree with you. And I think when you contrast that, uh, not only Donald Trump, but also the all the front runners in the Republican contest compared to well, except Jeb Bush, because right. you know, he had this huge war chest. But if you can compare that to contrast that with Hillary Clinton, who has six million dollars from George. Soros, who is trying to fundamentally transform America like President Obama promised to do and was very successful at doing, at least on a governmental level, you contrast that, especially in regard to Hillary Clinton's foundation and the amount of money that she got funneled into that, probably for influence while she was Secretary of State. We're still trying to get the information on that, but she has not been forthcoming on that. I think that is a move that we are going towards that is very positive for the country. Mm -hmm. And Donald Trump has certainly been successful at that. And I would say many of the other front runners in the Republican Party have as well.
3: Yeah. And, you know, we are look at look at our team, look uh, in terms of who we're putting out there. Look at the diversity, diversity, not just in terms of age or skin color or race, but also in terms of economic backgrounds. You know, one of the world's most most brilliant neurosurgeons to a a corporate businesswoman who, you know, I've been disappointed in terms of Fiorina because I've, I've, I've been saying for a long time, I wanted to see somebody out of the business world to come in and and help take over the economy to, you know, um, to a brilliant lawyer who's argued in front of the Supremes to, you know, to Donald Donald Trump. You know, I just think we've just got such a diverse field and I just love that. And so anyway, any final
4: thoughts, Gail, before we got to go? Yeah, I think it's just so exciting to think about what's going to happen in New Hampshire, because I think people were surprised about what happened in Iowa. And the fact that particularly Hillary and Bernie are neck and neck, I think it's 50, 49 and one. And to think that Bernie Sanders, a 74-year-old socialist, could challenge the inevitable candidate is amazing. Mm -hmm. And we can't wait to see what will happen in New Hampshire.
3: Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on tonight. And I can't wait to have you back and we can we can talk about it some more. I would love it. Thanks for having me. Great to be with you. All right. Thanks. All right. We're going to take a break. We come back. We're going to keep our eye on what's going on in Iowa. See if there's, if they're going to officially call it for Hillary or Sanders anytime. We're also going to talk about a couple of other topics because there's more going on and we want to talk about it all right here on the Andrea Kay Show on AM 1170. The Answer.
1: You're listening to The
2: Andrea K Show on AM 1170, The Answer.
3: Welcome back to The Andrea K Show. Thanks for being with me tonight on this very exciting night in Iowa. When I started the show, Hillary Clinton was at 50%. Bernie was at 40 at 50. Now we've got it at 50. Hillary, 49 Bernie. That's still not a great night for Hill. Because, you know, she she's just really, as the inevitable, you know, the coronated queen, the grand Alinsky dame, she really thought she was going to be walking into the nomination. Um, I'm not really sure if any of it has to do, I know that inside some of the polls in iowa that honesty and integrity supposedly meant a lot to the iowa voters if so i'm not really sure why in the world any of them could vote for bernie sanders because there's no honesty in the pitch for socialism it has destroyed every every system, every com- uh, every country that tried to implement it. Every nation has been destroyed by that. So there's no honesty there. But see, they don't know that because the left has taken over the education system as well as you know the entertainment industry and the media. So you know they're they're believing the bumper sticker platitudes of you know taxing people at ninety and percent and then taking money from somebody like a Trump who's earned it and worked hard for it and giving it to somebody who, who didn't bother to even graduate high school, that that's somehow going to better a nation when you do that. There's no honesty there. Um, I, I'm not really sure that the honesty and integrity had anything to do with it. Um, because how could Hillary Clinton even, even be continuing to run for president if anybody in the Democrat party cared about honesty, cared about integrity, cared about legality, there's more information coming out every day about Hil- about Hillary Clinton. And I'm wondering tonight, I've got to sound off. I can see Ted Cruz up there um, giving his speech, but I haven't heard any of them. I, and I didn't hear a whole lot of the final pitches from anybody in Iowa. But did any of them? I'm, I'm going to ask my peeps out there if they could do a little research for me. Uh, Timothy Charles, let me see who's out there. On Facebook, Mark Schofield. If any, any of you guys let me know if anybody from the Republican side mentioned Hillary Clinton and the latest that's come out from these emails, because there's absolutely no excuse for why. A former Department of State IG came out and said they all that. The State Department is absolutely lying when they all have said that they did not know from the get go that Hillary Clinton had set up a private server, in spite of the fact that she actually signed a 2009 non disclosure agreement, which acknowledged, quote, that markings are irrelevant, undercutting her central explanation. It, quote, classified information is marked or unmarked, including oral communications. We now know that thousands of classified emails were on her server. We know that 22 of them included SAP, special access. I mean, these SAP pieces of classified information are so highly classified and secretive that brigadier generals have to go through polygraph tests to get pass-through classification clearance in order to read one. And then even if they go through the polygraph and they get cleared to read one, that doesn't clear them to read any other ones. That's how top secret... These emails are, and I'm not hearing anybody talking about this today. According to this article on Fox News by Catherine Herridge, who's probably got to have her own security uh, to keep from, from reporting, and I quote... It included, these recent rounds are so, so high in operational intelligence that they revealed, they jeopardized sources, methods, and lives. This is information that gives names of sources, for example, gives their locations. I mean, we're, we're talking about literally people's, operatives' lives being at risk here. Now, remember the hysteria over Valerie Plame? who was supposedly outed by Scooter Libby who did 6 months and he wasn't even the one who outed her it was the deputy secretary of, S- of state richard armitage or whatever his name was i mean a movie was made out of it there was so much hysteria and the most covert thing that woman probably did was trying to go into a plastic surgeon's office to get botox and have nobody know but but hillary clinton can have the location i mean on a on a such Highly secretive information that, in fact, according to this article, they have had to go in. I guess the intelligence community has had to go in and do some kind of special um, because they because it has already been classified as a potential breach. They've had to go in and do other. Uh, methods to try to somehow um, get the information and then try to secure it, re-secure it, because it's there's already been a breach. She's already violated the Espionage Act, Espionage Act. In fact, there are 13 federal laws that she has potentially violated, 13. And I have not heard, I didn't hear it in the debate Thursday night, I have not heard enough from any Republican about this. That Every one of them should have been saying tonight, how in the world can, can that woman be running for president? And what is she going to do if she, get, if she gets the nomination and then gets indicted? There, it should be an automatic disqualifier that you're, if you're under federal, uh, an investigation by the FBI, or, and, or, how about this? You don't even have to be under FBI investigation. You signed a, a document as Secretary of State that you would protect classified information, whether or not it was marked. You didn't. In fact, you promised that if it came, because now her argument, as her arguments changed, it's changed from I didn't have any on my server to they weren't marked, to I wasn't the one who did it, it was my underlings. N- then it was well, I didn't actually pull it off of the private server; it just kind of showed up in my email. None of those are excuses for the Espionage Act. The very fact that it was on her server, and and even if even if it showed up into a private, even if she got this classified information by accident on a on the government-secured system, she was still supposed to report it. There's absolutely no excuse for anything that she did. The woman should have already been, the Republican Party, who has control of both houses, should have already, just from Benghazi, asked for a special prosecutor to bring her to justice. This is an absolute outrage. And I want to hear more about it from the Republican Party. i tell you something else I'm not hearing anything about. And this was, uh, I was requested by um my buddy peggy to do this story do you guys remember when if you're just tuning in by the way this is the andrea k show on am 1170 the answer oh it looks like it's back to 50 50 with hillary and bernie eyes on iowa still um was it last week dj carrot sticks when we had the hoax at balboa hospital
0: i didn't realize
2: it was a hoax i thought it was just a false uh call
3: well, you know, actually, it's funny you should say that because have we heard anything else about it? No, not at all. See, heard any other follow-up? No. Nope. Seven agencies, seven agencies, I didn't even know there was seven agencies. I didn't know there was that many different yes. law enforcement agencies. Seven of them all ended up en masse at Balboa Naval Hospital. I don't think they call Balboa Naval Hospital anymore. I don't know what they call it, but you know, these military names... Uh, stick around. Balboa Naval Hospital, where I've been many times with mama to pick up prescriptions and get all kinds of medical service done because, you know, mama's a retired, you know, military gal. Um, Seven first responder agencies go there because uh, supposedly there was reports of shots fired. Well, this goes on for hours. I'm fielding calls from people. I'm hysterical because a friend of mine, his husband's a doctor there. You know, this is just really, you know, scary. Come to find out, Nobody heard any three shots. Never heard if they tracked down whoever made that call because when I call, anybody calls the police department, they see who's on the caller ID. They know who made that call. And even if you say you want you don't want to give your name, they know exactly who makes the calls. It's on their caller ID. If you have caller ID, don't you think the nine eleven system has caller ID? They know who made that call. We haven't heard a bit about it. <laughs> Meanwhile, at the same time that was going on, and I'm not connecting any dots, I'm just telling you the same time that was going on, There was the standoff and the death of Leroy or Lavoie Fernicum in Oregon. Mm -hmm. In fact, I didn't connect those dots. A friend of mine did. And, you know, while everybody's eyes were tuned to Balboa Naval Hospital, that's when a traffic stop occurred up in Oregon that took that that took over 30 minutes before it finally came to, you know, a head and at the end of that traffic stop and confrontation, we had Lavoie um dead. Now, to refresh everybody's memory about what went on in Oregon, what happened was we had these ranchers up there who had been given a lease by the government for them to use for their ranch, which really begs the question, why do we have so much, you know, federal, we've got... The federal government taking more and more and more land away from the citizens, and then giving them leases. So we've got these ranchers up there that have leased this property, and as been the case many times in the past, you've got to anybody who's ever seen, you know, um, the Pioneer Woman on Food Channel knows. Here they're ranchers. You've got to light fires. You've got to you've got to get rid of the brush and burn it off so that new foliage can can occur. And it, and they do it in different stages depending on where the cattle are. And then once there's new foliage, then their cattle has a new area to graze. I mean, this is just what ranchers do and when there is a fire they act as their own firemen and they put it out they even have fire trucks and everything this is managing their land and they have a lease to do this so as been the case as many times they lit you know that they, they got they lit a fire and when it actually on their land when it actually went encroached a little bit into the federal land they put the fire out no harm no foul this is something that's happened many times they ended up getting uh, arrested for arson and getting convicted in walks amon bundy and others and um it ends up with Lavoie Furnicam ending up shot. I don't know. I watched the 29-minute altercation. I have no idea why they pulled these people over. I didn't see any crime being committed. And then as I watched, I couldn't really see from some angles at the end, but the man gets out, supposedly tells them, according to witnesses on the scene, that he they, that they were under fire for and doing nothing as they're sitting in this big suburban. He gets out. You can see his hands are up. I don't, for the life of me, I don't know why the man's dead. And I also don't understand why nobody's even talking about this. So I'm, I'm hoping that we can bring some more spotlight to this and get some more answers. I'm not going to say that the man was gunned down for no reason, but it sure looked that way to me. And I really think, and what was even more disturbing to me, was that we've got some candidates like, you know, uh, Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz, who said, you know, they came down on against the people there who were standing up and saying, we've got a government overreach, taking our land, not doing right by the American citizens. This is not supported by the Constitution. These people had a lease for their land. They had the rights to do what they did. The government did not have the right to do what they did. Who's standing up for the law? What do you do? Oh, you're supposed to go obey, go obey a law that's unconstitutional? I, I, I'm, I also want to hear, i got to take a break. When we come back, we're going to get into a little bit more economics because today's $19 trillion in debt. But I want to hear more from the GOP in terms of the overreach from the government in every aspect, and that includes federal land. This is the Andrea Kay show. Don't change that dial folks. Be sure to
2: follow Andrea Kay on Twitter at Andrea Kay show and follow her on Facebook and like her fan page at Andrea Kay spelled K-A-Y-E. you're listening to The Andrea Kay Show on AM 1170, The Answer.
3: Welcome back to The Andrea Kay Show. Glad to have you all here with me tonight. And as part of the you asked for it, segment of the Andre k show you know a while back i always pose it to you guys tell me what topics are on your mind and what do you really want me to focus on because i like to do a show that's that provides content that's driven by what you guys want to hear and i actually had a few quite a few of my listeners want me to spend a little bit more time delving into some topics that aren't quite as sexy as talking about, you know, Hillary Clinton's email scandals and Benghazi, but some of the bread and butter economic issues that are going on out there, because we know that the top two issues that people are going to take to the polls going into 2016 is national security and the war on terror, but also economics. Because, you know. Um, as people are sitting down every night, they're tra- they're worried. They're trying to figure out how they're going to pay for their kids' education. They're trying to figure out how they're going to even keep the lights going on in the house. So these are things that are really important to the American people. And so I'm going to continue to bring on experts onto the show to help me get that great content out to you guys because, you know, I can't know everything out there. So Nathan Gattay is one of my great Facebook friends, super smart guy. And he posted a few weeks ago on Facebook that he was kind of concerned about the truth that we're getting from the government. Shock, right? We're not necessarily getting all the truth, particularly in regards to economics from the government. But he was concerned specific to the real estate industry because he's saying that for the past 10 years, the government's been dishonest with us about the real estate industry. And I say they've been dishonest going back for decades and decades because if you look at the housing bubble that we had that ended up bursting in, in 2008, and I've talked about this on the show, I've talked about the decades of various types of legislations and policies that have involved both parties that led to that housing bubble. They weren't honest with us throughout throughout all that. You know, basically it was about the, the, the entitlement mindset that everybody should have a right to own a home. And so there was different machinations and policies to fulfill that, which led to all these loans that people you know, couldn't afford to pay. And you know the whole story there. Real estate is one of the top leading economic indicators for us. And so there's lots of reasons why both parties might not want to be honest with us about the state of the real estate market. And, and real estate is so critical because that's where the American dream lies for many people, the dream of home ownership. That's where people can often you know, build up equity and build up Financial security, maybe for themselves in, in their senior years, as well as for their children. So I look at the that as being such a f- integral piece of the fabric for America. But real estate ain't my industry, and ain't my game. So I am pleased to bring on the Andrea K. Show uh, tonight, Vincent Vince Scunzio, who really is kind of interesting in terms of his specialty in the real estate market and you can go to his website Vince to learn more about him and what he does. Vince, thanks for coming on the Andrew K Show tonight. Yeah, I
0: appreciate you having me on. Yeah.
3: Pleasure. Long intro to lead up to tee up to your segment. <laughs> Probably as long as you're gonna be on, but I really wanted to give a framework because, you know, most of us we want to own a home. It's part of the American dream, but we don't we we look to experts like yourself to help us find the 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 right product or the right house. You specifically you don't do listings for everybody. That's not really what no. you do necessarily and people can learn more about what you do we'll touch on that in the end but what is the state of, of real estate right now this is an incredibly critical piece of the economic pie for the American people Nathan says we're being lied to he says real estate starts are not as good as they were he says the out- housing industry we are approaching another bubble he says according to what the truth is out there do you agree with Nathan where are you at
0: um, I agree on the big picture as far as nationally um, obviously the, the current, um, regime or whatever you're it, the current, uh, party in power has a vested interest in making everything look wonderful for the, you know, in hopes that Hillary gets elected or whatever. No one wants to come and drop big, bad news that yeah, housing isn't where it needs to be. California in large though, is, as far as, or specifically, I should say, um, housing starts are up, you know, okay. it, from Northern California, all the way down to Southern California, the, the big builders are coming back. And I always look at it like this is that the big builders have economists and people that their job is to to not look at what's happening next year, but what's happening out 10 years. Because right. it could take five, 10 years to develop a piece of property to where you have new starts. So the fact that the builders are just now starting to develop that land means that, yeah, their economists and everyone were saying, you know what, I don't think it's a good time yet, but they're looking forward saying, you know, I think the next couple of years are going to be good, which is mm-hmm. how long it will take to from breaking dirt to closing the transaction.
3: Okay. So kind of a mixed bag then, basically, I'm getting from you. Is it basically we're not, you know, it's starts are up a little bit, but we don't really know. Well, real estate is, a,
0: is a, a, a very, you know, locational specific, right? What's happening in San Diego is not what's happening in Eureka County and what's happening back in Detroit or whatever. So you really have to look at, you know, which is kind of the reason why you want to have local experts is because what's happening in San Diego Actually, San Diego leads the nation. So what happens here is the rest of the nation follows. And that's mm-hmm. key to know is that housing starts are actually up in San Diego County from last mm-hmm. year to this year and going forward, which means the rest of the nation's bit, la- always lags us and has lagged us uh, statistically and historically for 50 something years. Right. So if we're coming out of the market now, just now, which we are, hmm. Then, you know, the rest of the nation is probably going to follow that. But a lot of it, honestly, it's going to happen. It depends on what happens tonight at the, or to, you know, what happens in the election going forward.
3: Right. And um, one of the things that I, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk real estate with you is because there's a, a lot of questions about taxes. And we've got a lot of GOP candidates that are pushing flat taxes in a variety of different forms. Right. And one of the things that really panics people who are involved in the housing industry, that's realtors, that's con- general contractors, that's developers, that's the hard hats that go out and swing a hammer all day, is the idea of removing the mortgage tax credit. And so what I would say out there is what I'm looking for is... A, um, Lower taxes on businesses and make it easier. I think we need to have more people have the skin in the game. People who aren't paying taxes right now, need to have pay a little bit of something. But I'm really opposed to a flat tax that involves completely removing every tax credit. And that includes the mortgage tax credit, because I think that's just going to completely cripple the real estate industry, whether it's here or anywhere else.
0: Yeah, but I, I agree with you, but I think that that crippling would be short term. I mean, keep we in do. mind, that, well, keep in mind the tax credit hasn't been around <laughs> since the founding fathers, right? I mean, that's a relatively okay. new, and I don't know the year it was implemented, but that's a relatively new development in the tax code, Okay. Right? So, you know, a lot of people don't, they, they're not buying a home because, oh, I get a, a write off, buying a home because they want to buy a home, mm-hmm. where that's going to really hamstring or really hurt the, the overall picture is, is the um, investors, that are getting those write-offs. They're getting that depreciation and everything gotcha. like that. But the homeowner, like the house I bought, I didn't buy a home because, oh, if I buy this home, I'm going to get this tax deduction. I bought it because I don't like paying rent. I have a house that I can do whatever I want to, and the benefit is I get to write off the interest of it. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So,
3: yeah, it would suck. Um But you won't be able to write off that interest, though, going forward on a flat tax. But though. I'd still
0: buy a home. You would still buy a I home. I would still buy a home. Now, th- and, and most people that are buying homes are not buying. That's kind of an added benefit, right? Um you know, I, I, it's not
3: the reason why they're buying. It's, it's
0: not the reason. Plus,
3: if you're able to save taxes in another area, because maybe you're buying that home off of money that you've made running your own business, that now you're paying less in interest because a lot of business owners are sole proprietors and their taxes are there. Keep, keep in mind, in mind it's that a that
0: deduction. It's not, a, it's not a reduction in tax. It's, it's not just a, a dollar a, for dollar. It's not a dollar for dollar. So if okay. you have $30,000 in income or property tax for a year and you make $100,000, you know, do the math, but now you're taxable at X amount based on your your tax code, so right. you know that would be a whole different show. But I don't think that it's going to be, it's not going to destroy the housing market in at least not in California. Um, people are always going to be buying homes because they want to have a home. Investors, right. they're going to find another the, way to give reduc- right. a deduction.
3: And and one of the things I think that we can learn as we wrap up here in terms of the housing bubble that it crashed here, and and I do think that I am seeing from everybody out here in, in Southern California that it is it is recovering. Mm-hmm from what happened when the housing bubble burst. And I do think that that will be a wave that happens uh, across the country. Um, I just lost my train of thought. It's okay. Well, you're talking a little bit about, you know, are we in a bubble? And I, I, Oh, oh! I know no. what my question was. Um, you know how I tee that up for you? Yeah, you did. Thank you. <laughs> there have been reports, though, that now that we are in a little bit of a recovery mode, that we're back to the government and Fannie is doing back to the same shenanigans again. Right. Is that true?
0: Yeah, you're, you're, you know, you're starting to see a little of what they call loosening them up of the lend, loosening up of the lending credit or lending guidelines. Um, you know, the, the government. It's like a big old ship, right? It takes a long time to slow it down. It takes a long time for it to build up. And they always seem to overcorrect. Mm-hmm. And so what they did is they overcorrected and they tightened it up so much that people couldn't buy a house. And okay. so they're like, well, that didn't work. Well, let's loosen it up. Well, the market's kind of picking up on its own anyways. Now we're going to loosen it up. And and th- I think the problem that ran, we ran into with the last crisis was that anybody and their mother could get a loan. Right. You have a pulse. You have... Basically right. you needed a pulse and you had to be 18 years old. You didn't necessarily have to be anything else other than that. And you right. could buy whatever size house you wanted, not what mm-hmm. you could qualify for. Haven't come back around to those lending guidelines yet. though they're, you know, they're softening up a little mm-hmm. bit and they're really pushing for that, you know, that down payment assistance and that low mm-hmm. down payment. You know, but right. I, I honestly believe that the hundred percent loans and the stated income loans, that was what caused all that. Because, you know, if you have to if you have to qualify based on ratios and you have to qualify based on how much money you have down, then you're going to fit in there. Now, whether, right. you know, but the people that could say, hey, I work at Taco Bell and I'm making 12 bucks an hour and I want to buy a million dollar house and you could do that.
3: Oh yeah, you could. You know, and then on top of it, people that were moving into these homes and they were pulling out, it, it, as soon as any kind of equity had developed, they were then pulling out the money.
0: You could do 100%, you know, 125% stated income investor loans, which means that you could be a, a office worker and buy investment properties and get money back from the purchase. right. Yeah, you know, come on. I mean, how long is that going to last? Yeah,
3: so then we overcorrected. Now we're back. Kind of get some common sense to it. And um, I guess my message to people would be that I'm feeling good about real estate going forward. I think it's, and I always think it's a good investment. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like that old saying: buy land. They're not making it anymore. I mean, I think that the the lesson for me is, which is what I think my my before I lost my train of thought was: if if you can't hold on to it, kind of like stocks. If you're trying to buy it, thinking your your plan is to flip it in a year and take and take a big you know profit off of it. Probably not the way to go wherever you are, right. whether it's San Diego or beyond. But if you can hold on to it, you can pretty much ride out, you know, what? the bubbles and the ups and the downs. How can people get more information about you, Vince? You know, give me a call at
0: 760-637-7094. That's my cell phone number. I answer it pretty much all the time. Um, you can also go to my website www.vinceguncio.com.
3: Yeah, and what you what Vince does is he kind of works directly with attorneys and really helps in the division of of assets in regards to family law issues like divorce. So very highly specialized, and you don't get to that kind of specialty without really understanding the entire market and how it plays out in in into everybody's lives and their pocketbooks. Thanks for being here, Vince. A pre- pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Okay. Oh boy, we trying to cover a lot of topics here tonight on the Andre K show on the night of the Iowa caucuses. Um, trying to make sure that I've got all the content that you guys are looking for here on the Andre K show and um, so keep telling me what's important to you here on the show and the topics that you want. It was actually Nathan Gattei who sent me a really long list of questions that he had for the real estate market. And so I I wanted to provide that content for him and for our local listeners in San Diego. Tomorrow's Andrea Kay show. We're going to be picking it up. It's the Dems. It's too close to call in the caucus race. There's a socialist stealing her show in Iowa. I am happy that the results of tonight's Iowa caucus is I'm hoping it's a good sign for conservatives, actually, that we had these results tonight. I, I'm hoping that that means that we're going to go into New Hampshire and it's going to be the end of Chris Christie. It's going to be the end of Kasich and all the rest of the end and, and Bush. And I hope we're going to end up with a conservative on the ballot in the general election. Hey, join me tomorrow night right here, 8 p.m. Pacific time on AM 1170, The Answer. Follow me on Twitter at Andrea K. Show. Follow me on Facebook and go to my website, AndreeKShow.com. Show.com. Lots of ways for you to engage me. Thanks for being here with me tonight. Love you all. Have a great night.
0: The Andrea Kay Show on AM 1170. The Answer is sponsored by Andrea Kay.